You travel far from home to a very foreign country, let's say India, with a small cohort of Americans from all over the United States. You expect the Indians you meet will teach you new and different things, and they do. But what you didn't prepare for was just how much you would learn from your American colleagues. You traveled 8,000 miles, only to become a more active U.S. citizen. And also a short story about money. Lots and lots of money. You're listening to 2233, a podcast of exchange stories. So I had a friend named Shahira, and they were riding somewhere on the highway, and they saw elephants on the side of the road, and that wasn't an uncommon sight. And Shahira was like, oh man, I really want to ride an elephant. And her host dad's like, okay, and pulls over the car and goes and talks to the guy. This is all on the side of the highway as cars zoom past and pays him some rupees and comes back to the car and says, let's go. And she hears like, what? And he's like, get on the elephant. This week, coming to terms with xenophobia, learning to become a better citizen 8,000 miles from home, and cash on delivery. Join us on two journeys, one from Savannah, Georgia, to New Delhi, India, the other from North Carolina to then Yugoslavia, to learn that while citizenship is priceless, huge bags of cash aren't bad either. It's 2233. We report what happens in the United States, warts and all. These exchanges shaped who I am. When you get to know these people, they're not quite like you. You read about them. They are people very much like ourselves. And oh, that's what we call cultural exchange. Ooh, yes. When I view India, I see the Taj Mahal, um, my friend Shahira in the program riding on an elephant along the highway in India, which was a sight to behold. Um, I see monsoon season and flooded streets and us enjoying and hating the rain. Um, I see my excitement when I found a Starbucks in New Delhi and being able to get my favorite drink at home. Um, I see burning my tongue off with spicy food repeatedly um, it was very loud and very colorful. Hi y'all, um, my name is Gretchen Sanders and I'm from Savannah, Georgia in the United States. I haven't declared a major yet, but I'm very interested in healthcare. I participated in the National Security Language Initiative for Youth, also called NISLI, in 2013. So I went to New Delhi, India with the State Department to study Hindi, um, a super high needs critical language, and to gain more cultural understanding. So before going to India, I'd never been out of the deep south. I have vague memories of a field trip to Washington, D.C. in elementary school, but that's about it. So I'd, I'd never really been out of Georgia. Um, 
and I met someone at a summer camp who said, hey, I went to this program in Turkey and you should apply. Um, and before, I never really considered study abroad because it wasn't financially possible for my family. But to hear that there's a full merit-based scholarship from the U.S. Department of State, arguably one of the safest organizations in the world to study abroad with, um, I was very excited. So I applied, not really knowing what I was getting into, and suddenly got accepted and traveled to India. Um, and looking back, I probably could have found an easier way to leave the deep south, but it was a good head-first experience. So besides the obvious language-speaking skills that I gained, um, two things really stuck out to me on my program. One is that I love my home in Georgia. It's beautiful, it's warm, I love the food, but there is a rampant xenophobia that plagues the South. Um, and that can be really difficult. And before I went to India, I was I was definitely empathetic, but I don't think I was under as understanding. So suddenly going to a new country where where I was the foreigner, where I didn't speak the language, follow the religion, that really gave me an insight into how difficult it must have been for non-Americans living over here. Um, and it gave me understanding and even courage that when I would hear xenophobic comments from people in the South, I could say, hey, I lived with a host family in India and they were gracious and wonderful and they let me into their home and we should do the same here. And I feel like a lot of people assume that the Deep South is just bigoted. And I don't think that's the case. I think most of it down here is just xenophobia, the basic fear of being different. Um, and I had a lot of people in my life be like, why do you want to go to India? You know, there's there's all these other English-speaking countries you can go to, like England. And I think it, it really scared them. So me being able to come back and say, oh, I had a wonderful time. It was great. I feel like that's given me the courage to stand up to that. And the other thing was I met wonderful kids from across the U.S. there. My program had 19 students from across the U.S., and we were all studying in Delhi together. While we had individual host families, we all went to Indian high school together, and we were all in our classes taught in English to learn Hindi. So we spent a fair amount of time together. And this was my first time really being exposed to people from across the U.S. that, again, weren't from Georgia. And... Georgia tends to have a uniform way of thinking, whether it be religion, politics, voting. Um, Georgia's pretty stereotypically uniform in their way of thinking. So being exposed to people from across the U.S. that, that weren't raised in the religious upbringing that I was was really inspiring. And it also gave me courage in a way that I could speak out against things. Um, so when every adult in my life ever, because I was still a child at this point, I was 17, I was in high school, thought a certain way, it can be terrifying to disagree with them. Um, and to meet kids from across the U.S. who were who were active, who, who emailed their congressmen when they had an issue, who weren't scared to, to say what they thought, it gave me the courage to do the same thing. Um, and since coming back, not only have I contacted my representative when they've passed legislation that I don't agree with, I've also become an avid voter. And I, I truly don't know if I would be an avid voter without that experience. Um, 
So meeting other kids definitely taught me that it's it's okay to disagree with people in your life and just how to be engaged civically. Um, so it's given me a beautiful understanding. And without Nisley, it, it's probable that I still would have never left Georgia. I would have never left the Deep South. Um, and now I want to do more. I want to go back to India. I want to go back to other places. And I think that State Department cultural programs have a huge impact on the world. Um, I was reading something the other day about how when 9-11 happened, there were only a handful of agents in the entire FBI that spoke Arabic, um, and how we couldn't understand threats to global security and how to promote world unity um, without speaking other languages. And, you know, a, a program called YES was created in response purely to 9-11, and now there's so many State Department programs. that's really the key to to world peace and safety and it it's understanding other people my name is bob kokersberger uh, i have taught journalism at north carolina state university since uh, 1986 uh, which came after I spent a number of years as a professional uh, reporter and editor. My first Fulbright experience was in 1991 in Yugoslavia, what was then Yugoslavia, followed by uh, other Fulbrights in Egypt, Thailand, Slovenia, and Slovakia. I've been very, uh, very fortunate in the in the Fulbright program. been teaching in Ljubljana for three or four weeks. Uh, things were settling down. I was getting to know my students. I knew where I was and what was going on. The only problem was that we were running out of money. Uh, I had brought return tickets and a certain amount of American cash with me, but was waiting for the transfer of money from the Fulbright Commission in Belgrade to our bank account in, in Ljubljana. I went to a Ljubljanska Banka shortly after we arrived to open an account. To do that, I had to go to the back of the bank and find the, the desk labeled Desk for Strangers, which, which I thought was kind of, kind of funny. But I got our account opened, and I transmitted the account number to the Fulbright Commission in Belgrade so that they could transfer the, the cash. Well, I went back to the bank about every other day, continuing to check, and uh, found that no no money had arrived. We, we did not have the, the deposit that I was hoping for. Finally, I really was literally running out of cash. Now, there would have been some other things to do, but I was uh, you know, eager to make sure that I was getting the money I was owed by the Fulbright Commission. So I called Belgrade and spoke to the contact there, a guy named Boyan, and I said, Boyan, if we don't have our money in the next day or two, I'm going to have to go back to the United States because I have no no more resource here. And he said, oh, no, no, Robert, don't do that. Don't, don't panic. We will take care of it. I said, well, that's great. I hope I'll have the money soon. The next day, I was back at the faculty teaching. The classroom door was closed, and I heard a banging on the door. This is pretty unusual, so I, I paused, whatever I was doing with the class, went over to the door and opened it up. And there standing was a messenger from the Yugoslavian Postal Service. I thought, well, this is interesting. 
And he said, are you, you Professor Kokersberger? And I said, um, yes. He said, may I see your passport? I showed him. And he walked into the front of the room and from his satchel pulled out huge wads of Yugoslavian dinars, 70,000 altogether, and counted it out on the table in front of my goggle-eyed students. They had never seen that kind of money, and of course I was not prepared to carry the thick wads of cash with me, so I was stuffing them into my pockets, and a messenger left. I turned back to the students and, and resumed the class. Twenty two thirty three is produced by the Collaboratory, an initiative within the U.S. State Department's Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs, better known as ECA. My name's Christopher Worst. I'm the director of the Collaboratory. 2233 is named for Title 22, Chapter 33 of the U.S. Code, the statute that created ECA. And our stories come from participants of U.S. government-funded international exchange programs. In this episode, Gretchen Sanders told us about her experiences as a National Security Language Initiative for Youth, or NISLEY-Y, fellow. And Bob Korkersberger reminisced about an indelible moment as a Fulbright scholar in what was then Yugoslavia. For more about ECA exchange programs, including both of those, check out eca.state.gov. We also encourage you to subscribe to 2233, and we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us at ecacollaboratory at state.gov. That's E-C-A-C-O-L-L-A-B-O-R-A-T-O-R-Y at state.gov. Special thanks this week to Gretchen and Bob for sharing their stories. I interviewed both and edited this episode. Featured music during Gretchen's segment was Thanks for Coming by Josh Woodward. Bob's episode featured some vintage Serbian folk music, what I imagined to be the perfect soundtrack for the comical episode he, he described. Music at the top of each episode is Sebastian by How the Night Came, and the end credit music is Two Pianos by Tagir Lius. Until next time.